Now, before we head into our sermon, we have a sharing from Tosin. Hello, Regen. My name is Tosin Lattingday. I'm married to Kayla Lattingday. I have been going to Regen now for a little bit over a year and a half. I am, I'm very glad to, and just honored to get to say a little bit here with all that's been going on. There's been just an over of info and just like too much to process. So I'm gonna keep this short. I just wanted to say, you know, a few quick words, you know, from my experience and what I'm feeling, you know, as of to the last few weeks, you know, in the recent years, you know, we've had just uh, so many different events that have been happening where we've been able to see it. Things that have always been happening, but now we see it more and we get to experience it as a world and it's harder to ignore. I mean, you know, George Floyd, you know, the most recent that just had an impact on me that, that surprised me how I just felt like I was grieving so much more than before, even not like the others were any, any lighter, but it was just um, harder to just, um, it was like almost like an enough is enough type of feeling. Um, you know, from you know, Breonna Taylor, Ahmaud Arbery, Trayvon Martin, just so many. And anytime these things happen, you know, it just seems to have a, a pattern of no real justice. And it, you know, there's a just, um, a build up of hopelessness and pain resurfacing and many stories that I have culminates in um, just some stress and pain. And as Christians, we have God's word through Old and New Testament where God makes it clear that he cares about oppression, um, the hungry, homeless, those who are in pain. Um, I have um, something here from Isaiah 58, 6 through 7, where, you know, God is responding and he says, No, this is the kind of fasting I want, where you free those who are wrongly in prison lighten the burden of those who work for you let the oppressed go free and remove the chains that bind people share your food with the hungry and give shelter to the homeless give clothes to those who need them and do not hide yourselves from relatives who need your help i think there you know the three key things i'd want to get across and the first thing is that um i would hope and pray that we um i want you to listen i want us to all listen um i'd want you to empathize Know, to be able to, you know, when you see things, to try to put yourself in um, other people's shoes, especially, you know, if we come from a different background, you know, different ethnicities, colors, whatever, to be able to empathize. And um, also to be able to um, give thoughtful, you know, give thought and prayer to thoughtful, like um, a thoughtful action that we can take and things we can do to um, not be inactive and to um, take action towards justice. In the world around us so um you know for the first thing there is real unrest hurt pain anger and the uh, collective trauma my old pastor in san jose he gave a very good analogy pastor kembui tendaji where he says um he likened the um when people are talking about their experiences especially like you know black people here in america myself included where it just feels like you know you we have these stories of things that we've gone through and it's like a child who tells his parents like wake up in the night runs to his parents like hey there's a monster in my bed there's a monster in my bed and the parents are just like oh uh you know don't worry don't worry your little head go to sleep everything will be okay you know there's there's, there's nothing there and um and it's a thing where you just kind of try to lull the you know the kid back to sleep and you know th there's no real danger but in this case there really is you know somewhat like a proverbial monster in the closet and america has had a problem um, with um, just racism and a lot of what happens that we're dealing with here since inception. And it's been, you know, somewhat swept under the rug because of the difficulty and the complexity of the topic. And the roots are deep and, you know, sin at its core. And um, 
right now, this is um this is about an underlying trauma which has been triggered and has risen to the surface for many people, myself included, in the past weeks, years of conversations, memories, and just people telling their experiences have been flooding my mind. And um, one example out of many, you know, I remember in high school, you know, being, um, you know, at a quick mart when I was, um, you know, followed and asked what I was doing there. And, um, you know, if I, if I could leave, they didn't want us hanging around there. They didn't want me hanging around there. And, um, you know, I remember my sisters being threatened off the light rail with, with me, you know, as well. And because the conductor thought we were somewhat up to no good. And, you know, these are things that happened to many people and seems seemingly tenfold more to, you know, black people, black men, you know, growing up. And um, it just seems like there's been an overflow of voices, opinions, hurt, pain, and, you know, denial and even rejection. And there's um, a ton of info to process. So for some, it is a debate as to whether there's credence to the outcry. And for those who feel that way, I encourage you to listen. Um, I have here Matthew 13, 15, where, you know, Christ is saying, for this people's heart has become callous. They hardly hear with their ears and they have closed their eyes. Otherwise they may see with their eyes, hear with their ears and understand their, with their hearts and turn and I would heal them. And in the context of this passage, you know, the Pharisees thought that they had righteousness cornered, but they were blind to the gospel of Christ. And as Christians, we don't want to be people who are so confident in our knowledge and our sense of righteousness that we cannot see a real issue that's in front of us. And this time, this is a time, sorry, where humility is a requirement to see pain and struggle wherever we come from and whatever ethnicity we may be. I pray that, you know, for all of us, at the very least, we'll be willing to hear, listen, and examine our hearts. If we cannot acknowledge sinful patterns and attitudes in ourselves and all around us, how can we begin to take it to the Lord in prayer and have a true process of repentance and sanctification where we can become more like Christ? Um, it will be difficult to love the way God has called us to love, you know, in 1 Corinthians 13, and the world will see right through us if we are not willing to operate in God's love. And so um, I guess the second point is that I want us to be able to empathize. And, you know, I remember, you know, as a little kid, when I first came from Nigeria, we were just totally ob oblivious to any of this, which is the beauty of um being little kids, sometimes you just, you know, the world is just like this blank clear slate. And, um, you know, as we came to the U.S., we first, you know, we experienced, you know, I remember, you know, being called the N-word and just so many other epithets and stuff that just happens to pretty much all black people. And you just kind of took it as like, oh, okay, that's, um, you know, it's what it is. You kind of stay away from that person. I'm not going to mess with them or just, you know, and you know, sometimes it may lead to a fight or something, but it's just like, you know, you, just the things that just happen, you know, out of ignorance and stupidity and um you know kidding me you know then as you get we grow older um it starts to become things where you know as a teen especially during teenagers where i'd be you know followed around in a store and just people would look at you and assume you know you were up to no good and really a lot of that just came from just nothing you could change it's just like hey i was you know i was black and i was a teenager and i looked to them i looked you know like trouble and I am sure, you know, many who saw me being followed in the store and took one look at me and assumed that, hey, I must have been trouble. I um, have, a, you know, a story where my brother-in-law, while doing campus ministry down in, you know, in Long Beach, where him and his, um, another pastor, they were set down. They were, um, you know, the car was ransacked and they were cuffed. You know, guns came, police came with them, you know, guns drawn and, um, and, you know, just a lot of these experiences, they end up just making you feel that, you know, you know, something, you know, something is different, you know, like you, you're, um, 
it's it's not you know we're not really all the same because we have this burning experiences to to live through and to bear and um it's something that um if you put yourself in someone else's shoes you may be able to see and recognize how things are different and so um i just um i hope and pray for my future children that kayla and i teach them how to be aware of these issues so they will be able to identify when something is off or wrong and have the know-how to actively speak against it. I also hope and pray for you that you will be able to put yourself in the shoes of others and see the injustice they may be experiencing and let that change you. And the third thing is um, that um, I would want you to do is to take thoughtful action. And again, this goes for myself as well. And hopefully if you are listening and empathizing, you can now see that it is not just an issue for the black community to solve. This is injustice of your black brothers and sisters and it affects everyone. And um, it's something right now too that I'm also processing like what does this mean and what are the things that I can do? And um, I have many friends in Christian conservative circles. When racial injustice takes place, I often see them sharing posts on social media about, you know, tending to just kind of um, explain away the incidents. You know, maybe they must have done something wrong. They must have been dressed a certain way. And, you know, all of that really, as Christians, you know, we really are faith in Christ and our calling to spread the good news of the gospel further strengthens our understanding that our goal should be not to um, be okay with the status quo and that we should lead. And this is something I admit, again, I have under wraps, but um, I'm going to begin to, and I hope we all are taking this more seriously and keeping this in prayer and are being attentive to what God is saying and um, what we can do. And like the parable of the good Samaritan, we know who our neighbor is and we should respond to our neighbor in need. MLK talks about the danger of being more devoted to order than to justice. And we want to avoid preferring and in MLK's words, a negative peace, which is the absence of tension, to a positive peace, which is the presence of justice. Do we want a quiet norm where there is injustice, where, you know, Ahmed Arbery's killers could do what they did and just, you know, go home and chill for weeks or, you know, and just where we don't see um, justice taking place. Um, I also have here Isaiah 17, where, you know, it says, learn to do good, seek justice, help the oppressed, defend the cause of orphans, fight for the right of widows. In short, I hope that, um, you know, that we can all see that there is real hurt, there is pain, there is trauma. Um, I know and believe that God cares. I believe we as a church should care too and be in, prayers, in prayer for ways that we can be conduits of Christ in the midst of what is being brought to light. It is nothing new, but now it's um, being brought to the forefront. Thanks. Thank you, Tosin, for sharing with us. Uh, we are really appreciative of your insight and your exhortation. To all you fathers out there, I want to wish you a happy Father's Day, uh, especially to you, Tosin. Early Father's Day to you. So happy for you, uh, praying for your baby's health. What Tosin shared with us was very serious in tone and very appropriately so. And before I begin, let, let us pray. Heavenly Father, we want to stand with brothers and sisters in our community who feel wronged. We want to show compassion and care. We desire for you to use your church to embody us through your spirit, to be people who show love, 
to be peacemakers, to recognize how broken we are and how dark our hearts are and that we need to guide people towards you. Father, we are experiencing so much unsettledness and uncertainty, chaos around us right now. How badly we need you for your spirit to flow through us and for us to truly resemble your children. So God, we ask for your equipping and your empowerment for the churches throughout our country and our Bay Area here to truly be your voice, your hands, your feet. In Jesus' name, amen. We're living at a time where or when things are just so uncertain and there's so much that we're unsure about. But in looking at our verses this morning, there are things that we can be certain about, sure about as children of God. John has been writing about the assurance we have in Jesus Christ, that God understands that we have doubts and we experience uncertainty, but he wants us to know that there are things that we can be sure about in our relationship with him, that, and this is what John highlights in 1 John. And so as we look at 1 John chapter 4, verses 13 through 16 today, in just looking at 1 John as a whole, there's this recurring theme, there's this recurring phrase, God abides in us. And now John isn't writing about being religious or joining a church or even doing good things. John is writing about the certainty of God abiding in us, that we can know God with certainty, to know God personally, experientially, transformationally. And many of us have had testimonies to attest to this transformational, experiential, personal relationship with God. Many of us have received the love of God, received the Holy Spirit. Take a look at 1 John chapter 4, starting in verse 12. No one has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God abides in us, and his love is perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in him, and he in us, because he has given us of his spirit. God abides in us, and his love is expressed in and through us. We won't get through the entire chapter today, but what we have from verses 13 through the rest of the chapter is John expounding on God abiding in us and his love perfected in us, verse 12. And then in verses 13 through 16, which we'll go through today is the evidence that we abide in God and that God abides in us. John wrote this in John chapter 1 verse 12, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Now John isn't the only one to share with us this good news. Paul tells us of this relationship we have with God in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. We abide in God, and God abides in us through Jesus Christ. Now look at verse 13 again. And it says, By this we know that we abide in him, and he in us. How? Because he has given us of his spirit. 
how do we know God has given us his spirit? Because we confess that Jesus is the Son of God, verse 15, and we abide in love who God is, God is love, and God abides in us, verse 16. We can only be given God's spirit if verses 15 and 16 are evident in our lives. We can know that we abide in God and God in us because he has given us his spirit, verse 13. And John has written about this already, 1 John chapter 3, verse 24. Whoever keeps his commandments abides in God and God in him. And by this we know that he abides in us, by the spirit whom he has given us. When we are born of the spirit of God, we receive a lot a lot. Think about this. Our sins are wiped clean. We're adopted into God's family. We're united with Jesus Christ through his death and his resurrection. We're given this new nature. And on top of all of that, we receive the Holy Spirit. Now there's some mystery about the Holy Spirit and how the Holy Spirit works. There are some who believe the Holy Spirit's just kind of doled out bit by bit but this seems kind of off to me personally because since the Holy Spirit is part of the Trinity and when we receive God or when we receive Jesus Christ, we receive all of them. So why would we only get part of the Holy Spirit? It seems to me that we get all of the Holy Spirit and the variable is us. We get all of the Holy Spirit, but how much of ourselves are we giving to the Holy Spirit? See, God gave us everything. He gave us his only son, Jesus. Jesus gave us everything. He gave us his life. The Holy Spirit gives us everything. And the question is, how much are we giving to God, Jesus, the Holy Spirit? The scriptures teach that we can grieve the Holy Spirit. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 30. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. That we fill ourselves with other things. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. Not to be filled with other things, but to be constantly filled by the Spirit, a consistent renewal of the Spirit, a continual empowerment and direction from the Spirit. The extent to which the Spirit of God reigns over our lives is the extent to which we can be assured of the fact that we abide in God and God abides in us. See, people don't naturally have the Holy Spirit. We're not born with the Holy Spirit. That's why we call ourselves born again. We're not naturally born with the things of God. And the things of the Spirit, they are foolish to people of the world that are living in the flesh. Take a look at Romans chapter 8, starting in verse 5. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. For those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. 
how much we need the Spirit right now to be directed by the Spirit of God in these unsettled times. Really, where else can you turn? World history has shown how broken we are, how dark we are. And yet, here we are, still, dealing with evil, darkness, brokenness. What's the evidence the Spirit is in our lives? We're graciously gifted for useful service. The fruit of the Spirit that, it, that becomes evident in our life. Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. So if you live without the Spirit, you can see what you can get. You can see what you let into your life with fear and ignorance, rejection, all those different things that start to rule over us. But with the Spirit, the Spirit leads us to love unselfishly. So how we once viewed people without the Spirit was hateful. But with the Spirit, we're led to live lives of worship and obedience to do the Lord's will, and, and it shows us the certainty that God is abiding in us. The natural person, the worldly person outside of Christ, does not believe in Jesus Christ, nor can they love as Christ loved in this natural fallen state. The worldly person is, is blind to the spiritual things of God, and, and the evidence of God abiding in a person is when the Spirit of God is working in that person for God's purposes, that there's a change in a person's life and there is a love for the body of Christ and there's a love for people, for each other. Take a look at verses 13 through 15, 1 John chapter 4. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us of his spirit. And we have seen and testify that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. We also know that we abide in him and he is in us because we confess that Jesus is the Son of God. We experience this abiding from our confession of faith. You'll notice that John uses this pronoun, we. It seems to me that the we used here in verse 14 is speaking of the apostles that were with John. That John is tying the witness of the Spirit to the testimony of the apostles of his day. And that the collective and specific we of John's day is what he's talking about. That the very people that were in the upper room with Jesus. Take a look at John 15, verses 26 and 27. But when the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. And you also will bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. John was part of that experience. 
So was Peter. Take a look at 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 16. For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. Why does any of this even matter? Because it ties back to what actually happened. That John and Peter, they were there with Jesus. That these aren't fabricated stories that people are making up as they're living their life, that they were actual first-hand witnesses who experienced what they saw with Jesus and what they, they heard from Jesus, that there were other apostles there with them, John and Peter just being two of them, and they were all there present with Jesus and experienced the Holy Spirit as Jesus had said. Not conjured up stories, but the good news of Christ that has withstood the test of time with the Jesus that is making his own proclamation that he was fully God and that he was fully human. Jesus was not the figment of imagination of people, that he was a historical person. And we know who God is because of Jesus coming in the flesh who fulfilled thousands of years of prophecy and the promises of God. And so there you have another certainty of the historical Jesus and all the prophecies that line up to prove who Jesus said who he was. And the certainty of the Spirit's work in our lives is going to be seen in our loyalty to the apostolic testimony of those first-hand witnesses that said, I was there. I saw him. I, I was there with him. We ate together. We, we walked together. We lived life together for three years. In other words, if God abides in you, then the Spirit abides in you. And when the Spirit abides in you, the Spirit makes the Bible reality and all important to you that God's Word becomes the central source of Christian verification. Our Christian experience is, is not just tested by what happened to us subjectively. But it's also objectively in that we know from the word of God objectively what is there. To say Jesus is there with first-hand witnesses is not a subjective thing. That's objective. The convictions of our Christian faith, that can be subjective because that's personal one-on-one -on -one stuff. But even that finds its foundation upon the apostles, and the prophets upon the word of God. Take a look at Ephesians chapter 2, starting in verse 18. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father, so then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. If we're going to say we know God, that we love God and that God abides in us. Not only will the Spirit minister within our conviction, verse 13, we will also acknowledge this with an outward confession that Jesus is the Son of God, verse 15, with the apostolic testimony, verse 14, which is objective. Verse 13 is subjective, verse 14 is objective. And we will come to this acknowledgement that Jesus is the Son of God. Now this acknowledgement is more than just a 
physical confession. It is more than just an intellectual confession because anyone can get their brain to just simply say physically, Jesus is Lord. That's not that hard. But see, the confession, it needs to be spiritual. And it needs to be real. A reality, not a, not a made-up one. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 3. Therefore, I make known to you that no one speaking by the Spirit of God says Jesus is accursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. See, confessing is deeper than just the simple vocalizing of words and the thinking of words, the thinking, the vocalization of Jesus is Lord or that Jesus is the Son of God. Of course, it includes the intellect because we need to think through our confession just beyond these feelings that we have. We need to think through the theology and and the life transformation by being obedient to God and, and growing to be more like Jesus in character. To confess Jesus is the Son of God, Jesus is Lord, is not just mere words. You're actually drawing a clear line of division. There's no Jesus is sort of God and Jesus is sort of man. It's not like kindness where there are degrees of kindness when you're looking at a person. Jesus is either God or he's not. Jesus is either man or he's not. We know that anyone can simply say Jesus is Lord. Anyone. But there's more to this than just words. Confession requires faith. Confession requires repentance. And there's evidence in how one's life is transformed because we take up our cross daily and we deny ourselves. We become disciples of who Jesus says we are and we become disciples of Jesus who say no We say no to things that don't align to the things of God. No one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. How can you know with certainty that God abides in you? Because God has given you of His Spirit who has enabled you to confess in reality, spiritually, that Jesus is the Son of God. Jesus is Lord, our Savior of sin, and and who we acknowledge that we need by faith. We confess who Jesus is as eternal God, as fully human, as Savior. And then we come to this third part of this certainty that God abides in us, that we dwell in love. Verse 16. So we have come to know and to believe The love that God has for us. God is love. And whoever abides in love abides in God and God abides in him. God is love. Verse 8, verse 16. Love is eternally in God. God is love. His love is historically declared in Jesus. 2,000 years ago, Jesus comes, dies for our sins resurrects and ascends to heaven. And it's a historical declaration of God's love for us through Jesus. And now, it's to be tangibly demonstrated by us, in us, this love. 
This is how we are able to convey the love of God to those who do not know God yet. See, you and I, we can't take anyone into eternity. So God comes from eternity to us. Jesus then ascends back to heaven and leaves us the Holy Spirit who equips us to love, to continue to love. And we rely on the Holy Spirit to help us experience and express that love. For those who are married, even if you aren't, hopefully you can relate to this in that you've been to a wedding before and you've witnessed the exchange of marriage vows within the ceremony. And so there's essentially, during the ceremony, a confession of love that takes place at the marriage ceremony. That was day one from their confession. And so from that day one has the experience, the expression proved the reality of the confession from that day one. In a healthy marriage, yes. In an unhealthy marriage, no. And so it's similar to the confession of faith we made to God on our day one. When we did that confession of faith, when we said that prayer to God to, to declare to Him, we need you. How has it been since that day one? And it's not simply just coexisting with God because as many of you have witnessed or maybe you're experiencing it now or you've experienced it with your own parents that unhealthy marriages can coexist. You can just be there together and nothing thriving, nothing flourishing from it. Is your relationship with God thriving? Is it flourishing? Is it healthy? Is it growing are you staying the course in reliance on God's love? Have we gotten to know God well enough to know what He wants of us? We know what His words say and we know what He'd want from us during times of suffering, pain, fear, trial. Times like these during a pandemic, during injustice. Do we know? Now, of course, you continue to seek, just like you would in a loving relationship with your spouse. It's not like, oh, I know it, everything. We don't have to talk about it. No, you still talk through it. You still confirm. You still check back with one another, continuing to rely on love. And for us with God, continuing to rely on the love God has for us. And we can read from the scriptures what he wants from us during times of pain, suffering, fear, chaos, we know. Those who claim to be Christian, but then you don't have time for others, or you don't have time to study the Word of God, or you're really critical of the church without an expression of love for others, without a love for the Word of God, without a love for the church, you have to question if you're really of the Christian faith, where's the fruit of the Spirit? Where's the evidence that God abides in you? When God abides in a person, 
It sweetens their bitterness. It softens their heart hardness. It enlightens their darkness. It, it decreases hate and it increases love. Are you certain that God abides in you? If you are, then God has given you of his spirit. You have confessed that Jesus is the Son of God. And that you love, that your love stems from the relationship you have with Jesus, empowered, equipped by the Holy Spirit. And so these are the proofs that God indeed abides in you, that we can be certain about these things. When we abide in God, there is proof that this is indeed true. God's Spirit is given to us. God's Son is confessed by us. God's love is lived through us. Now, if this is not you, you can cry out to God right now. There's nothing preventing it. You are in your natural state, but God wants to transform your life. And all you simply need to do is by faith ask God to abide in you. It requires faith. It requires repentance. So in that confession, repenting of your sin, confessing, acknowledging to God that you are sinner, but that also you have these sins that you need to bring to God and that you are going to change direction from them that you are no longer going to be postured in a direction of running from God, but that you're going to be pointing towards running to God, and that you ask for the Holy Spirit. God is so generous to give us His Spirit. Confess that Jesus is Lord, that Jesus is the Son of God, and you learn to rely on the love which God has shown to us through Jesus. That we love each other. That you love the church. That that critical nature that you once had, that hardness of heart that you once had, that bitterness that you had, that hatred that is stuck in there, he frees it all. That you can live in peace. That you can give all of that junk, darkness, brokenness to Jesus. We're going to be moving into a time of communion and this is just a beautiful picture of God's love manifest. In a physical form, yes, because anyone can take communion. But to make it a spiritual reality of what this means to those of us who love Christ. Let's close in prayer and then move into communion. Lord Jesus, We're in desperate need of you. Our world is broken. There's no doubt about it. It is evident. It is obvious. And how we pray for your return. And Lord, you instructed us to do this sacrament of communion until your return. And so, Lord, as we move into this time, we ask God for those who declare that they are believers of you. That they would indeed 
realize and know with certainty that you are abiding in them. That they would know, Lord, that you have given them your spirit. That, Lord, that through Jesus Christ and their confession of faith, not just simply the words, but of a changed heart, one of a repentant heart, can show that you are indeed abiding in them. And that, Lord, that last piece, which is really, really difficult to, to live through because loving a world that is so against you and what you stand for is really, really difficult. And so we ask for that spirit that has filled us and empowered us to live our life in this world in such a way that people can see your love through us. Lord, I ask for your blessing in our time of communion. In Jesus' name, amen. So as you have your elements ready, we first take of the cracker or the bread that you have, symbolizing the body of Christ broken for us. That even though he left to be with the Father at this time and he promises to come back, as this, this is why we take this communion. We remember his promises. We remember that he is coming back. That he was broken for us. But he doesn't desert us. He doesn't abandon us. He has left us with his Holy Spirit. And he has left us with this beautiful sacrament for us to take regularly to remember what he did for us. And so let us take together the bread. We have this second part of the Lord's Supper to where the fruit of the vine symbolizing the blood of Christ spilled for us. So let's take of this together, remembering of Christ's sacrifice for us, pouring out his love for us. Lord, you are all loving. God is love. God is spirit. God is consuming fire. God, you are all of these things and we recognize who you are. We pray, Lord, during these really, really challenging times, for your empowering for us to go out and represent you well. In Jesus' name, amen.